So here's a funny thing about timing. In April, a month into the pandemic, my friend Ray insisted that we needed to record this podcast episode right away. It was time. And so I was curious what this podcast would sound like, given everything that's happened since then. And it's interesting, because what Ray is talking about is proclaiming those things that it feels so uncomfortable to claim and doing those things that feel uncomfortable to do, but you know that they're your calling. So for all of you out there, and for me, who are struggling to know what to say when we can't get it right, and yet we know this is ours, our work to do, this podcast episode is for us. You're listening to Courageous Wordsmith, episode 34. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Today I'm talking with my good friend and frequent guest, Ray DePola. We've been talking on and off about you coming to talk with me. And then I saw you on Facebook. You did a Facebook live things that resonated with me. And I was like, okay, get on the podcast. And then I tried to reschedule and you were like, no, no, no. We need to find another time very soon. Not next week now. So Ray, what's so important? So what I had been talking about and what I've been feeling is what I called super secret visions. So truly claiming what it is that I'm here to do, what spirit is informing me of, what my sacred contract is, and how we all show up for that. And I think it's really tempting because it, it feels scary. It feels hard. So it's really tempting to back away from that or, oh yeah, let's put it off for a week. So this is new for me to even say, heck no, we need to do it now. Right. That, that I was, I was like, oh, of course. Like, especially in light of what you'd been talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't do it this morning, but let's do it this afternoon. And I was, I was like, go Ray, because I know that you, I'm claiming credit for this. I'm the first one who called you Gandalf. I think of you as this gentle guy walking in the forest, but there's some fierceness to that title too. Sure. I mean, he shows up and he, he, he kicks ass. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I, I do the same, but there is definitely a call to action that we either answer or we don't. And, yeah. and, and I think that there's lots of ways that shows up. So it could be, oh, I'm showing up and I'm doing all 20 bazillion things right? Or there's all the look over there, the distraction. I mean, your way of showing up, when you're describing showing up, what do you mean? What does that look like for you? For me, showing up is so contrary to what I've always believed. Right now, it is stillness. It is getting quiet, getting still so that I can hear, I can listen, 
and then the scary stuff starts the the work mm. and you know work has always been for me a dirty word Khalil Gibran calls mm. work it is the manifestation of love yeah I love Khalil Gibran mm -hmm. and that that flipped it for me and I think about that all the time that it, and I see that I mean you're a wordsmith yeah. you know I delight in discovering new ways to see words and with my men's work um you know looking at power privilege just recognizing that i've always seen like power i've always seen in one direction um yeah power isn't bad it's how we wield it well exactly but it's always like in my work as a as a white male you know mm -hmm. to be in power has always i've always understood it to mean that you have dominion over you know you get your will mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you get you get your way and you get to take whatever you want that's the hierarchy power. it's hierarchical yeah it's it's tyranny mm -hmm. and and that's power and that is an aspect of power but to to discover power as the ability to create change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and money along those same lines, you know, mm -hmm. what what's the old saying, money is the root of all evil? Mm-hmm. Well, that's one way to look at it. And certainly it's causing a lot of evil in our world. The love of money, the pursuit of money, the control of money, the power of money. And on the other hand, money can be used to make things better for humanity. It's how you access it. It's how you perceive it. And it's how you perceive your own role in it. You know, it's, it's easy to, to wield power the wrong way. And in so doing, you don't have to show up for your real true purpose. Yeah, I mean, money is just an idea, right? It's just a concept. It's an energetic exchange, which you were talking about energy. It all comes down to the energetic exchange of it is what you've been talking about. Right. Yeah. And I mean, power, ha I mean, everything, I see everything as an energetic component, but power is perhaps two energies in dispute or battling against each other. I see the hierarchy, the patriarchy, it is one energy over another. And then there's community and there's the collaboration and the joining together of energies in order to heal and lift and bring everyone to a better place together. And, you know, able to do so much more than any one person alone. Um, and so this idea of super secret vision or sacred calling. And when I talk about, you know, my practice is stillness to listen. It really is to feel the energy and what energy do I want to live in? What energy 
do I best create from? And absolutely, every time I start grasping for ego stuff, like, oh, is anybody looking at me? Does anybody care about me? Are they proud of me? Well, my energy shifts, and that's not a place for me to create, and it's not a place for me to magnetize people and call people in. Anytime I start worrying about money, same thing. Energy shifts, and then there's, you know, it, it's a, it propels people away or repels people away rather than calls them in. So when you are feeling most aligned and you are listening deeply, mm -hmm. what is the call, Ray, for you? For me, the call is working with folks. Um, the message that I have heard is, and I take the deep breath because I, I shared yep, it with you already. It. I, I'm ready. <laughs> Through me, they find their way. So, so why did you hesitate? Because when I first heard it, I thought, yes, that is it. And, and where then, did you feel it when you first heard it and you were like, yes, that's it. Where did you feel that? There's a term elevation, which describes how just observing kindness in people. Mm -hmm. The term elevation is sort of the, the sensory physical feeling we get from that. Okay. And I get that same kind of, so for me, it's my upper chest. I, you know, I, I get flush. I feel light and tingly in my upper chest. And so when I was sitting and listening to, to find, like, I wanted just a really specific nugget. Like, what is it? Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. is my thing? Mm -hmm. Through me, they find their way is what I heard. And again, like, I feel the tingling. It goes up to my neck. And it just, it feels powerful. But then my mind. Yeah, what gets in the way? Yeah, my mind jumped to. Well, that sounds so much like something Jesus would say, you know, through the me. Term, yeah, the term you use with sacrilege. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, you know, and as you pointed out to me, which is exactly sort of the whole, it, it's an example of the whole nugget of how we, how I can derail myself is, oh, well, sacrilege is a great excuse to not pursue your way. And that's exactly it. You know, it's, it's, it's a hidden barrier. It is. Yeah. Who do you think you are to come exactly. and fulfill the gifts that you were given with the purpose you were given, but who do you think you are? Right. And yet standing yeah. that on your head, who are you not to like, if those were the gifts you were given, who are you to hoard them? That's a gift you've been given to put things into expression that makes sense for other people and help them find their way. Who are you not to? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I know. A, a lifetime, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lifetime of being modest, being humble, um, uh -huh. being told uh, lots of times, you know, you don't measure up, you're not enough. You know, there's this sense that small is safe, right? Mm -hmm. And big is dangerous. Oh, and, I'm right there with you, Ray. Absolutely with you. And I, and I think a lot of folks are. And, and what I'm after right now is that notion that we've got to stop hiding. We've got to stop pretending that 
we can't do it. The um, world can't afford to lose anyone's gifts. No, and as somebody very wise said to me, you know, we wouldn't be shown this vision and given this plan without, without it being possible. Hmm. So how do we find our path? Start by listening, right? I mean, always, so always. What's your, what's your best way of listening? So like, I understand there are many paths, but if you were doing it, how do you find your path? I find my path by meditating. I do it every day or almost every day. So I spend time meditating and see what I receive there. I journal every day. And sometimes I will be writing about what I received in meditation. Other times it's as I write that something emerges. Mm -hmm. um, that definitely, and I, I think you've had this experience as well, it feels like you're certain it did not come from you. Oh gosh, it's the best feeling when that happens though. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's, it's, yeah. it's so cool, yeah. <laughs> you know it wasn't you. And so I, that way, and then almost every day I go out walking in nature and um, there are often times, so two things, you know, either if I'm frazzled, mm -hmm. I get soothed often. Like I will find a calm and a peace by being outside. Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm in a pretty good state and I go walking, that's another time when I do receive and I hear messages. And so the real duty is to then act. So take a line to action. You know, I think sometimes it's right in front of you and it can be so subtle and when you see it, it's so obvious, but it was right there all the time. And sometimes you just are missing it, you know, because either it was too loud, you weren't listening, or you weren't ready to receive it yet. So there is perfect timing. I mean, divine space, divine timing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it may be like priming the pump or sort of in the book where you get the foreshadowing. Um, mm -hmm. But I think oftentimes, I mean, and so the hero's call, right? The hero's journey, we're told like the call comes and you, you fight against it, you fight against it, you fight against it until mm -hmm. finally you answer the call. So there is sort of that pattern, but I think the first time we hear it, we could respond and it's not like we have to hear it three times. We could respond the first time. It's just that we don't. But I don't think it's that we're not ready. It's just that we don't think we're ready. Too often, like every time, the reason we don't just do the thing that we know to do is because we don't think we're able, that we're enough, that we're capable, that we're strong enough, that we're important enough. Um, okay, and as a creative, I'm gonna say, I don't ever, when I set out on a path, I don't ever have all the answers, right? So part of it is knowing that you have to set out before you have all the tools assembled. You have to set out before you have all the answers. You have to set out before you know exactly where you're going. 
and you have to pick those things up on the way. That's why I often refer to it not as you know a sprint or a marathon. Okay, you prepare for a marathon. You show up with all the stuff. For a, I know things happen on the way at a marathon, right? But a pilgrimage, you show up and you gather along the way the things you need. The people show up as you need them. It's not a sprint or a marathon, right? I love that. And, yeah. and so this sense that we have to know what's going on and we cannot admit where we don't, I think gets us into a lot of trouble, right? Like when we can accept that we're on the path, it becomes so much easier to just keep showing up. <laughs> well, I mean, so it gets, when you say it gets us in a lot of trouble, I mean, trouble, trouble shows up whether we're on the path or not. I mean, life contains trouble. So there's sort of this myth that, oh, once I find my way, like it'll be sunny sky. Happily ever after. Exactly. <laughs> Every good fairy tale ends. Happily ever after. You know, and that's just not realistic. But I think, you know, every step of the way, when there's a new challenge, it's also, it, it introduces choice. Mm -hmm. It introduces the opportunity to recommit to the pilgrimage, right? Mm -hmm. Recommit to the journey or not. Mm -hmm. So part of the discipline of, the, of, of living and of living a, a spiritual and called life is the recommitting to it all the time, again mm -hmm. and again. But it's also the opportunity where we can fall off and fall off and fall off. So, and, and yet we can look at that and say, that's why it's so hard. Well, and it's hard because as we move along, it gets more challenging because we're moving to higher levels of doing things too. But you're not going to learn if, if you're always able to be perfect at everything all the time. It, there's no depth to that. And so when you get to say level three of a language, for example, you're learning complex grammar that it's a big interwoven system. And so you're navigating a lot of stuff. So you actually are far more proficient than you ever have been in your life, but your perspective shifts. And so you don't see that actually I'm operating at a really high level. I am um, a well-oiled machine here that's still getting into gear. You think, oh my gosh, I used to be good at this and now I'm bad. At this point, you can quit. And that's perfectly legitimate. If it's not your path, maybe you should or you move through it. And on the other side is this smiley face again. I have enough that I can keep learning and I can keep enjoying it and I can keep engaging with it on this high level. And then it just becomes fun as opposed to shame for not being perfect. Huh. <laughs> I guess I didn't know I wanted to talk about that. Thanks for, thanks for the space to talk about that, Ray. Absolutely. Um, I am super curious I heard you mention it on Facebook, but I would love for you to do that here. What is, what is the vision you're claiming for yourself? And you're calling them secret. What are you calling them again? Super secret vision. So I'm yeah. calling it that because it feels so tender, mm. so precious, right? So important that I know for myself and I've seen it with others that I've worked with, it's scary to say it out loud. It's scary to admit it because it feels like it'll just disappear. Mm. Like a cloud will just, you know, it'll just 
dissolve away and be gone. But what I realize is it's critical, especially if I ever want to actually see it manifest, mm -hmm. to articulate it, to speak it out loud. You know, this is what, this is part of the message I've been getting is, you know, I can't keep it hidden. I can't just wish for it silently. I need to be active about it. So again, speaking it into being, speaking it into being, and then listening, receiving the messages and taking aligned action. So, you know, you ask, what's so urgent? Mm -hmm. Being here is part of the aligned action, speaking it. So what do I see? I see meeting with folks in person one day, but meeting and doing coaching in person. I see doing rambling walks in the woods, kayaking on the water, you know, snowshoeing in the, in the winter time, hiking up mountains, just spending time building fires, telling stories around the fire, but doing soul work where we all slow down and get still. You know, my vision is, and you'll, I think, appreciate this as a, as a teacher, a former teacher of, like my wife's a teacher too. And there's, and as a kid who went to school, the snow day was always this unexpected gift. Yeah. Like, oh, we get a free day off. Like, and it felt so special. And it's like, oh, what are we going to do with this gift, right? This gift of a snow day. Mm -hmm. We felt so, so lucky, so beneficial. And what are we going to do with it? Or, you know, I think about in my working career, you know, you get one or two weeks off a year. So you work 50 weeks and you just plan for the one week where you can really do what you want to do and be who you want to be. Or, or people go away on retreat mm -hmm. where they, I mean, they talk about it in this way. I'm escaping my normal life. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this thing that I've always wanted to do, or I'm going to this place I've always wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about this and I think it's insane the way we live that the people we most want to be are pushed to the edges, to the very edges of our lives. Yeah. And the rest of our lives are filled with, you know, wearing masks and playing roles that we don't want to do and we don't want to be. And so my, my super secret vision is creating a path where people find their path, but it's about taking the life we want to live from the edges and pushing it into the center and then, you know, planting seeds and watching that grow. So the life that you want becomes more and more of the life that you're actually living. You know, as I listen to you say this, right, I can't, it can't escape my attention that, well, for example, today, just before I hopped on the call, I had something come up where I was feeling a little bit edgy. And, you know, it's just one little thing triggers some feelings for me that I felt like I needed to talk about. And it turned out to be very closely related to what you and I are talking about right now. And I just felt so comforted talking with you. And I have... I mean, so if I think about you and what I would envision your 
super secret vision, but not so secret because I see it. You know, you're a coach at heart, a coach who likes to coach best in nature. But I've turned to you many times. I have referred to you many times. I love hosting you on my podcast because I want to hear what you have to say. And so I don't think we always see that, that those things that we think of as arrogance, we dismiss them. And even the hard feelings that we don't want to own up to or we don't want to share, those things those things are the things I value most about you, Ray. The things you describe, I've experienced that. You know, I'm a life coach. I have a lot of life coachy people in my world. So there's lots of people I could turn to, you know. But, but for you to agree to that, somehow it feels harder. And I think you are a very, very kind, well-socialized person. <laughs> And, and, I, and I bring this up as a segue to one of the books that you, you introduced me to, The Big Leap. Because there are so many, and I am working on this in my life, there are so many things I could do, but there's so many of them that I'm not doing the things I should do, not should with a big capital S, but should, like they, they want to come forth from me because there's lots of things I can do well. It's that zone of- Excellence. It's the zone of excellence versus the zone of genius. Mm-hmm. Our society prioritizes doing everything well. So that, that book, by the way, is by Gay Hendricks, The Big mm-hmm. Leap. And you were one of the first to really start talking about that with me. What really matters? Do that to the exclusion of the other stuff, because otherwise you're squandering what really matters. I'm wondering if what, what you would take of that. You've, you've read that book now. We've known each other a few years. I'd love to revisit what, what that means for you at this moment. So, yeah, it, it's definitely that exact conundrum of zone of excellence and how society appreciates that versus- A plus student, yay! You're exactly. an honor student. Well, Good job. And- and also it's like, oh, like in business, it's like, oh, you're doing that thing that needs to get done that I don't want to do. Oh. And, you're, and you're doing it well. So keep it up. And, you know, and honestly, you know, then we get paid to do it and, you know, we get promoted because we do it. So in society, it's sort of the track that we're supposed to follow. But yeah, that notion of, so zone of genius to me is synonymous with your calling. Mm-hmm. It's synonymous with when you get still and spirit is speaking to you and telling you what your purpose is. So through me, they find their, their path. They find their way. That, you know, and the tricky thing is when I start doing that, I'm not going to do it as well as some of the stuff I do in my zone of excellence. Right. 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 You may suck at it as first because it's new. It's cutting edge. I guarantee I will suck at it. You know, that's (laughs) another one of those dangerous things is that we are, we, we are schooled that, Oh, if you're good at something, 
then you should keep doing it. If, if you're not good at it, no matter how much you love it or how much you, you feel like you're, you're you know, like, Oh, you love music or you love German or you, you know, art, whatever it is. If you're not good at it, then, then quit. Yeah. And I, I am guilty early on in my teaching career of trying to clear some kids out of my classes who mercifully re refused to go. And, and at the same time, I had some students who were excellent at German who left and I was like, you cannot leave. Well, actually they could, thanks. And you know, some of those students who insisted on staying in my world, God bless them and thank you. Like, like, like that takes courage. Your teacher's telling you, you can't take German and you want to take German, why shouldn't you get to stay? Why should the grades determine whether you're learning or not? That, that, it kind of hurts my heart a little to know that I ever did that, but I'll own it because I did, because I learned, because I grow, because they taught me something. Right, but that was also the system, right? I mean, you know, even the notion that grades, you know, what are grades? They're a reflection of how you respond on the tests they don't really measure your passion for something. Oh, they measure, so they correlate to, you know, it's how did you set it up and the grades don't even get me started on grades. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're one of the most counterintuitive things if your intention is to learn. Yeah. And like life, you know, if you want to live a life that you love, then start figuring out what your zone of genius is, which means bypassing this, you know, a list of, oh, these are the things I'm good at, so I should work harder at these. And it's making a new list of what are the things you love to do. And, and then spend time that. doing those. Amplify that, maximize that. Yeah. Let, let love of things be your guiding force. And honestly, and then you start feeling, you start figuring out how, when I do the things I love to do, can I serve others? Because ultimately it comes down to service. When you start seeing it that way, you don't have to be all the things. You can start surrounding yourself with people who have complementary interests and there's your community that you're talking about. Exactly. And the other thing about, you know, I mean, just when you, when you describe that and you imagine that like, oh, so there, there are things that I need to get done that mm -hmm. I don't love to do. And there's, there are other people who, really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Well, now you introduce that energy exchange of money mm -hmm. and it's flowing through love. Mm -hmm. And it feels really good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, money is not the root of all evil, is it? So when you think of it as energy mm -hmm. or when you think of it as an expression of love, mm -hmm. which I think it is, what sense does it make to have a pile of it sitting in a room somewhere in your house. I mean, it, and, or consider it this way. If that's how you feel about money, how good are you at expressing the love in your life? Well, what do you think about yourself that that's the only value you take? Yeah. But how are you, you know, keep, if you're hoarding money like that, you're likely hoarding your love too. And then we start, you know, and then, I mean, so all the metaphors, right? Because then we start telling ourselves a story like, oh, see, nobody loves us. And it's like, well, when you're locking yourself behind a door, you're the one prevent, you know, how often do we keep ourselves from the thing that we want? Right. 
You know what's fun about this pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't expect that sentence. <laughs> I know, right? But I've had people reach out to me where we've had some really great conversations. You know, and to be to be clear, I have to be more guided. I have to be more guided and guarded actually about where to spend my energy because I could spend all my energy talking to all the people right now. And I'm not doing that because, because I feel it, it depletes me. So, you know, I'm actually more connected to people probably now than ever because everybody's at home and I've been at home all along because I'm a writer, right? <laughs> Writers stay at home and write. But I've connected with people from various places in my life where maybe we hadn't had that connection for a while, but where there was always affinity, right? And for whatever reason, went in different directions. And sharing some of the stories where they didn't know at all that I was coming from that perspective, or I didn't know at all that they were coming from that perspective, and how, how often we tell ourselves these stories that make ourselves be small, and the people around us have no idea how insecure we feel. They have no idea that we're not shining brightly because we're afraid they're going to judge us and they're not going to judge us. They're so grateful for the energy that we can share. Not in a, not in a string tie E kind of way, not in an, an attachment and conditional way, but just a genuine interest in each other. Like that's coming through in some interesting ways, you know? You bring up, so there's that point where we feel vulnerable, mm -hmm. you know, we feel we're worried about what will people think of us and we're as human beings, community is a big deal and how we are perceived matters. Our social self is a part of ourselves and should not be excommunicated from, from our souls. I mean, it matters. Because it's also what allows us to connect to other people. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I know that the divine asks of us is that although we get that information, that we still do the vulnerable thing. We yeah. still show up because, you know, you, you mentioned like, oh, we're afraid that they might judge us, but they don't judge us. Well, the reality is, as we walk through the world, we get judged. And so the question becomes, or honestly, what the divine asks of me is, are you going to let that stop you? So a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, Alison Scammell, I was listening to her this week, and she was talking about how if you're living on purpose, if you're truly living on purpose, it's always going to be a little bit edgy. Because you are living on the edge of your purpose, you're actually pushing the envelope. It's always going to be that way. It's always going to be that way. And from that expectation, okay, it becomes bearable. You know, as an author, I'm always going to be putting out my words and people are not, nobody's ever going to see things the way I see things. They aren't. Only I am going to see things exactly the way I see things. And once my words get out there, I won't even see things the way I saw things, right? Like it all is in flux. And that's part of the dance. And it's so wonderful. You know, I expect that the corollary to your big 
Now I want you to say it again because I want it in your words. The corollary of your purpose, the purpose is? The purpose is through me, they find their way. And through their reflection back to you, you find your way. That's the pilgrimage. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Courageous Wordsmith. Today's episode featured Ray DePola. You can read about him and find links in the show notes. My editor is the talented Will Kui. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can help it thrive and grow organically. Please subscribe right on this page, share with friends, sign up for True Lines, my letter for real-life creatives, and join our free Courageous Wordsmith Writer's Salon. Please and thank you for your support of all kinds. You can learn more about me and my offers for writers at CourageousWordsmith.com. I'm Amy Hallberg, and until we meet again, travel safely.